saying a while back. I wish I could live up to it. I don't always. But it says, it goes something like this. I'm too blessed to be stressed. <laughs> I'm too blessed to be stressed. And that's, that, that's a pretty good matter to live by. I don't know if we could ever live totally up to that, but we can sure try. God is good, isn't it? Ain't God good? I, I was out in Western Pennsylvania. I was preaching. And um, I just made that statement that I just made a second ago here. I said, uh, God is good. And the folks echoed back to me and said in unison, all the time. <laughs> Isn't that true? When is God good? So that's what they, I said, God is good. They said all the time. So I said, oh, I could do this too. I said, yeah, all the time. And they said, God is good. <laughs> so I want to say to you tonight, God is good. All the time. All the time. How true that is. Well, that was a blessed song tonight. It just set my heart aflame. And I'll tell you, every time I come here, the music just keeps getting better and better and better. And I, I, it's pretty soon, folks. Now, I usually try to sit right up here in the front because I know I'll be coming up here. But pretty soon in that area where I see it, you're going to have to get some Velcro down there on that seat. Hold me down. I get so excited when I hear songs like that. I just want to jump up and say, praise God, you know. Uh, maybe some Velcro, some duct tape, because just a, just a song that touches your heart and touches your soul is precious. Now, not every song is as spirited as that. We understand it. And we need that to lift us up. Some are a little more somber in times in our life. What a friend we have in Jesus in a time of hardship and difficulties, you know, and, and precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on and let me stand. We understand that music is such a vital part of the Christian life, and that's why the devil wants it. And you look at the music today, and the devil has even in so-called Gospel music. Now, on our cable channel, we have some music channels, some classical music that you could uh, play over, over the cable. And then they had gospel music. And so, oh, that sounds interesting. It wasn't gospel music. It wasn't gospel music. It was nothing more than ungodly music, just jazzed up and everything with a few words about Jesus in it. But the melody says as much as the words. And I know that sometimes we think we could take a worldly song and put Christian words to it, but it just doesn't work that way. Well, I'm glad to be back with you again tonight. Thank God for a Sunday night service. I always say this when I preach on Sunday night because I want to remind myself that Sunday night is a very special service for me, a very special time. And because it was in August 1962 on a Sunday night service that I was saved. Old preacher preached that night, a visiting preacher. The church was without a pastor, and they had men come in to fill the pulpit and pulpit supply. And he came in that night, and he started preaching about Jesus. He started preaching about the love and the mercy of God, but he was a good preacher because he also preached on the justice of God and the condemnation of those that are under sin and under the power of darkness and of the devil. And he preached a hell that was hot and a heaven that was sweet. And I didn't understand it all, but I understood enough that I didn't want to go to that place of hell. And that's where I was headed. I never murdered anybody. I never robbed anybody. I never raped anybody. I mean, how bad can you be as a 16-year-old kid? Well, bad enough to go to hell. But that night, God convicted me of my sin, and I gave my heart to Jesus. And I've never been the same since. And I can thank God for it. Aren't you glad for the change God makes in your life? Well, I, we come to the end of 2018. Hard to believe how fast a year has passed. A year ago, I, approximately this time, I stood behind this pulpit. And I talked about the end of 2017. <laughs> 2018 had come. And now we're at the end of 2018 and coming to 2019. And I want to preach tonight on the thought of the lost opportunity. The lost opportunity. The word opportunity is found five times in the Bible directly. 
But the thought of losing opportunities is manifold over and over and over again. Adam and Eve had an opportunity to live in the garden, but they lost it. Many opportunities. The people of Noah's days had opportunity to be saved, but they lost it. Now, what about opportunities in your life and in my life uh, tonight? In John chapter 9, we're going to start this, not our preaching text, but we're going to start tonight in John chapter number 9 in your Bible, please. John 9 and verse number 4. Jesus' words. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Jesus said, I have a limited amount of time to do my work for the heavenly father. 33 years Jesus lived upon this earth, approximately. And in 33 years, he recognized that there was work and opportunity to do for his heavenly father. And he said, I must work the works, work that God, God sent me to do. I must work the works of him that sent me when? While I can, while it is day. Because the night comes. There was no electricity back in Jesus' day. and So little was done at night. He said, the night comes and my work is over until the next day. And I think he's trying to teach us that we have a limited time to serve God. We have a limited time to get right with God. We have a limited time to take the opportunities that God gives us for his work and for his service. Opportunity can be a wonderful thing, but opportunity can also be tragically lost. Have you ever said, oh, if I only took that opportunity. Oh, if I only knew. I always said, oh, I, I, I should have, I would have, I could have. <laughs> but we didn't. And the opportunity was passed. Some opportunities do repeat themselves. But there are some opportunities that only come once in a lifetime. So Jesus said, I must work. And I like that. We must work for God this next coming year. I must work the works of him that sent me while I have the time, while I have the health. And I know we're all probably on different levels of, of health here uh, today. We probably have some very young, strong young men here, you know, that can uh, do an awful lot. And some of us other folks who are just, you know, it's a chore to get out of bed and tie your shoes. <laughs> but we all have an opportunity. And we all have a limited time to use that opportunity. I have never heard, I have never come across, nor have I ever experienced anybody saying to me on their deathbed, I wish I spent more time at the office. But they thought of the opportunity that they had lost of their family, of serving God. It was in New York, I believe, New York State, my wife and I were having a Bible study with an 84-year-old Methodist Sunday school teacher. 84 years and taught Sunday school in the Methodist church, but was never saved. Never knew about Jesus nor salvation. We go week after week, week after week, open the Bible and tell, teach her what the Bible says about eternal life of what the Bible says about the certainty of death. But she would never open up her heart to Christ. And one night, God did something in her. One night, there was a little spark of life in her heart and in her life. And, and that night, her eyes were open, and she says, I want to get saved. And she got saved that night. And after she had opened her heart to Jesus, she said, why did I wait so long in my life to do this? And I think we could say the same thing. Why did I wait so long before I did something for the Lord? 
We're going to look at a passage tonight and found in 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 20. 1 Kings chapter 20. We'll read the verse, and then I'll explain the context of this verse. And the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 20, and verse number 38, if you will, please. Excuse me, 39. And as the king passed by, he cried unto the king, and he said, Thy servant went out into the midst of the battle. And behold, a man turned aside and brought a man unto me and said, Keep this man. If by any means he be missing, then shall thy life be for his life, or else thou shalt pay a talent of silver. The context is in the midst of a war, a midst of a battle, enemies fighting each other. During this conflict, must have been a pretty important person was captured. And he was taken as prisoner and was uh, put in ward here in verse number 39 and he was given an instruction. He says that a man brought a man under me and said, keep this man, guard this man. Make sure that you watch him and that he doesn't escape. Pretty simple task, don't you think? All you had to do was watch one person. All you had to do was to pay attention to the task at hand and be sure that the prisoner would not escape. Pretty simple task. But then the Bible says in verse number 40, something happened. And he says to the king, he says, and as thy servant was busy here and there, he was gone. I got busy doing other things. My heart got divided in another task. And I forgot what I was entrusted with to watch that man. And he was gone. Folks, I wonder not. Does the devil sometimes keep you so busy you forget what God wants you to do and don't have time? He said, I got busy. I got sidetracked. It's so easy to get sidetracked, isn't it? I mean, how many times, um, my wife can vouch for this in, in, in my life. How many times I can say, well, I'm going to go clean the basement. And I get down there and I find something that I did. And then pretty soon I start playing with that, you know, or, or doing this with that and everything else. And then I forget about cleaning the basement. <laughs> She says, the basement done. But no, honey, look what I found. I found this cool thing down there. And I started playing. I got distracted. My goal was to clean the basement. But I got busy doing something else and never did get to, I mean, eventually I cleaned the basement. But I, I forgot the task that I had set myself to do. And I'm fearful that sometimes this happens in our life in God's service. We know the objectives. We know what God wants us to do. But we get busy over here, and we get busy over there. We had a fellow one time years and years ago attend our church when I was pastor. He always sat in the back row. He was cold, ice cold on God. His wife, she was sweet as can be and kind, but he was cold on God. Oh, he was cordial, and he was friendly, but cold on God. Nothing in the message ever touched him. He would not even open a hymn book to sing. He would sit in the back row and he'd work on his day timer. Or one day, he'd sit in the back row and he's clipping his fingernails in church. Code on God. Our church at that time, I had brought in an evangelist. I have always had a heart for evangelists, and when I was a pastor, always brought an evangelist in. And we had an eight-day meeting, Sunday to Sunday. Now, that's a full revival, let me tell you. We don't see those kind of meetings much anymore. We see maybe Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, Sunday to Wednesday, or maybe even Sunday to Friday. But to go Sunday to Sunday, I mean, that is a long week and a whole lot of preaching. But back in the old days, 
They didn't go Sunday to Sunday. They would go until God was done working. And many times, the first couple of weeks, they wouldn't even be evangelistic meetings, just getting God's people's heart soft and repentant and ready to, to do business for God. And then maybe the third or fourth week, they'll start evangelism and folks would get saved, bringing good seed and good soil. The other evangelist preached Sunday morning and he took a liking to that preacher. He says, you know what? I'm going to come back Sunday night and hear him. I, 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 I like that preacher. But he got a little ill and didn't feel well, so didn't come Sunday night. Monday night came, and still wasn't quite right. Couldn't make it Monday night. Tuesday, he stayed home from work, not feeling well at all. Wednesday, again, took another day off from work and didn't come to the meeting. Come Friday, uh, Thursday, he went to work and a half a day and had to go home sick. And so it was on Friday and on Saturday and on Sunday morning again. He didn't make church. But he says, I want to hear that preacher. Because he comes Sunday night, the last night of the meeting. I don't know what the evangelist preached that night. I don't remember his text. I don't remember a word that he said. But I do remember when he gave the invitation that night. The Holy Ghost of God moved among us. And I saw this brother stand, sitting on the back on this side. And he stood and went to the aisle. And I looked at him. Our eyes locked. I didn't know he was going to go that way or if he was going to go this way. And he hesitated. And finally he looked at me and starts making his way down the aisle to the altar. He got about halfway down, and his wife saw him, and she just, oh, she's just come on, glued. And she's just so happy. So happy that God moved in his heart, and he was responding to the touch of God. I couldn't wait for him to get down in the front. I went down to meet him. <laughs> He's taking too long to get down there. <laughs> and I went down, and I met him. He put out his hand and took my hand, both of his hands, and he held it. He said, I've wasted so much of my life. You see, when he was younger, he made a promise to God that he'd go to Bible college. But he knew he needed money, so he got a job to earn money to go to Bible college. But he did really good in the job. And pretty soon he was getting raises and promotions. And as the years went by, he kept working himself up in a company. Company, I'll tell you the name, you, you've heard of it, called Uniroyal. And he worked him up, and he was up in the top ladder. Had company cars, fly around in company airplanes. And he spent many years serving Uniroyal. But his heart was far from God. And that night he come down and he said to me, he said, Brother Sousa, if it's not too late, whatever life I have left, I want to give to God. He was close to retirement age. We knelt at the altar. His wife come running down and she knelt with him at the altar. We just stained that carpet at the altar that night. A few weeks later, he come down the altar again. He said, Preacher, I want to talk to you. He said, do you, do you think it's too late for me to serve God? I said, no, sir, it's never too late to serve God. He said, I'm thinking about quitting my job. He's just a few years away from a good retirement in this corporation. He had mentioned it to some of the people in the office that possibly just leaving before retirement. They said, you crazy? Look how close you are. Look what you're going to lose. And you built all this up all of these years and you're going to just throw it away. He made the decision to leave Rooney Royal and go to Bible college. And he went. And I'll never forget that night when he graduated I was in the audience, and they had, as you know how graduations work, they have the graduates line up, and one by one, they call their name, and they walk across the platform and get their diploma and shake hands, you know, and all. 
one of the proudest moments of my life when I saw him walk across that platform with that diploma, that degree in his hand. And he said, I'm so glad I could use the remaining years. He went on and pastored a church in Indiana for some years, and now is, now is with the Lord. But I'll never forget his words. Is it too late for me? We had a fellow in Bible college. His name was George. He was 60 years old, enrolled as a freshman. <laughs> 60 years old. He enrolled in a five-year program. Five years. His friends and brothers says, George, are you crazy? You're 60 years old. You're going to be a freshman in Bible college? Do you know by the time you graduate in five years, you're going to be 65 years old? He said, I went home and took a pad and a pencil and figured it out. And in five years, I was going to be 65, whether I went to Bible college or not. <laughs> so I might as well go. And he did. And he graduated. Both of those gentlemen could testify tonight. I wish I had taken the opportunity sooner. They had a second opportunity to make it right, and they did. But I go back to our text tonight. And at verse 40, as thy servant was busy here and there. I don't know, maybe I got busy shining my armor. <laughs> maybe I got busy cleaning the cleats on my, on my shoes. Or maybe I got busy sharpening my sword. But I forgot the primary responsibility that was given to me, and that was to guard this man. And so tonight, I wonder, do we get sometimes sidetracked? We do. We start off, but then something happens, and we get sidetracked to lose a great opportunity. We have an opportunity to serve God today. It's never before. Are we taking advantage of it? There was an ad that ran in a newspaper. Let me read to you what the ad said. Men wanted for hazardous journey. Small wages, bitter cold, long nights of darkness, constant danger, depression, safe return, doubtful. Honor and recognition in case of success. Must apply quickly. That advertisement was, was placed in the paper by Eric Shackleton, Antarctic explorer. He was flooded with applications. Who would apply for a job like that? And such circumstances, and yet 2,000 years ago, Jesus ran an ad that says, if any man will follow me, let him deny himself and come after me. There was a preacher by the name of Paul Rader. If you know anything about Christian biographies, you'll come across Paul Rader, great evangelist, great personal soul winner. He had a particular burden for a banker in Kansas City he talked to the banker several times about the need of his soul. And he was burdened one particular day, and he bought a ticket on a train from where he was to go to Kansas City and meet this banker. He got to the train terminal, got off in Kansas City, began walking up to three or four blocks to where the bank was located. <clears throat> Going up to the bank, the banker was coming out. They locked eyes on each other. And he, the banker said, Raider, I'm so glad to see you. I've been meaning to send you a telegram and ask you to come and talk to me again about my soul. <laughs> Brother Raider says, I got the message by way of heaven. <laughs> and there in front of the bank, once more, he gave the sweet gospel message of being saved, being a Christian, being born again. The banker unashamedly got down on his knees right in front of his own bank, and received Jesus as a Savior. 
when he stood up, he said, Raider, this is great. He hugged him and collapsed dead in his arms. The opportunity was there, and he took it. Standard Oil was looking for a man that would head up to Indonesia uh, operations. They found a perfect man for the job. He was a missionary in Indonesia. He knew the language. He knew the people. He knew the customs and well-respected. They offered him a good salary. He turned it down. So they doubled their offer. Quite a lucrative position. And he says, thanks, but no thanks. And finally, they come back with another offer. And again, the missionary turned it down. And they says, okay, sir, you win. You name your price. And if it's not too high, we'll pay. He says, oh, the money is enough. The job is too small. And he says, what I do for God is greater than whatever I can do for Standard Oil. He knew that the opportunity was there for such a short time. In Matthew chapter 9, verse number 36. But let's get it in context Please, because sometimes we're so quick, just jump to verse 36. But notice the context that begins in verse 32. And as they went out, behold, they brought to him a dumb man possessed with the devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb man spake. And the multitude marvels, saying, it was never so seen in Israel. That would be our way of saying, wow, he ain't never seen nothing like that before. But the Pharisees said, he casteth out devils to the prince of the devils. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But, now something interrupted him. That's why we get this in the context. He was around preaching and teaching, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted. They were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. He saw something we miss sometimes. You go home tonight, you're going to, Go buy some houses. Maybe some probably still have Christmas lights on and decorations, and it'll and and it, and it'll get your attention. You see that house? You look beyond the Christmas decorations and see what Jesus says tonight, because He says here they're like sheep having no shepherd. How many are like that in the world today? Why am I here? I have young people say, I have one young man come to me and not too long ago says, I don't even know why I was born. No direction in his life, no meaning. And we have a whole generation that don't know, that are wandering around looking for enjoyment in rock music, looking for enjoyment in, 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 in some drug, looking for enjoyment in some perverted sexual orientation. Sheep having no shepherd, nobody to guide them in the right way. That's what Jesus saw. But notice after he saw it, what he said in verse 37. Then, after he saw the multitude and explained how they, how they were, then said he to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. I don't have to remind you tonight the name of your church, do I? What is the name of your church? Tell me. What is it? Harvest. Isn't that what Jesus is talking about over here? Harvest. You think somebody, and I was with the church from the beginning, as Brother Combs at the time, I believe, and you think, oh, that, that's a pretty cool name. I just, I just named it. No, there was a reason for that. Because the field around about us 
is ripe unto harvest. And he wanted a ministry in a church that would harvest the souls of men. And Jesus said, the harvest is out there. Folks, there's nothing wrong with the harvest. You say, well, it's so hard winning souls. Till they, when was it easy? You tell me, when was it easy? I stood on the floor of the Colosseum in Rome and thought as I stood there with tears in my eyes and my heart throbbing within my breast, thinking of the Christians that were torn apart there, of mothers and fathers and children ripped apart by wild animals to the amusement of the 70,000 Romans sitting in the seats. You think it was easy living for God back then? Think it was easy winning souls to Jesus but like that? I can stop and think of the times of either other history when even in our modern day time and in such countries and Islamic countries where Christians are beheaded and killed and raped and torn apart and asunder. Folks, it's never been easy to live for God, but it's always been blessed by God when you do. The problem is not with the harvest. I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hand because I know every hand should go up and probably would. So don't raise your hand. I'll ask the question, but don't raise your hand. Do you know somebody tonight that needs to get saved? <laughs> if you don't, you're living in a bubble. <laughs> Do you know someone tonight that maybe is Marriage is on the rocks. Talk of divorce. You know someone tonight that has kids that are out of the street, maybe shooting up drugs and snorting up lines of cocaine? You know people tonight or anyone tonight that has problems in their life and no one to turn to? The answer to this is, of course, yes. But here's the shocking reality, folks. You have the answer to their problems. It's right here. You have the answer to their problems. The problem's not with the harvest. Jesus says the problem's with the laborers. Well, what are my wages for, for working out there? And what am I going to get out of this? We covered a little bit of that in Sunday school uh, the, the, this morning of serving God, only for what you get out of it. We're the laborers. Well, that's why we hire pastors and assistant pastors and youth pastors. I'll remind you tonight, folks, every Christian, every Christian is in God's service. Every Christian. God has a job for you to do. You might not do it as a career as a pastor. Sometimes I get a little upset with terminologies we have, you know, and I get a stickler for words sometimes. But we talk about, oh, I'm in full-time uh, Christian services. Well, every Christian ought to be in full-time Christian service. Now, you might not be a career service, which I understand as a pastor, you know, or as a youth, man, uh, a youth minister or something of that nature, but we ought to all be serving God full time. If you're not serving God full time, then who are you serving the other time? It's either God all or God not at all. Laborers for God. How we let opportunities sometimes pass. Now here's what's interesting. After Jesus was preaching the kingdom in verse 35, he saw the multitudes, gave their condition, lost, wandering. Then he turned to his disciples and said, there's the harvest, there's the field. Sometimes people say to me, some young people sometimes say to me, well, I'm going to Bible college to prepare to serve God. I reject that. You don't go to Bible college to prepare to serve. If you're not serving God now, who are you serving? Now, you may go to Bible college to learn how to serve God more effectively. Yes, but you better be serving him right now. Because every man has a master in this room. 
Somebody is directing your life. And you won't find anybody better than that of Jesus today. But the laborers are few. Then notice what he tells them to do. He does not tell them, now you get out there into the harvest. He doesn't say that. But what does he tell them to do? And you're going to like the first part until I expand on it. <laughs> he says what? What's the first word of verse 38? Say it out loud. What is it? Pray. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, great, preacher. <laughs> this is great. I'm going to pray for pastors. I'm going to pray for youth workers. I'm going to pray for some. Yeah, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray and pray. That's good. That's what Jesus said to do. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into that. Pray, pray. I'm, I'm going to pray. But unfortunately, we stop at that chapter because it's the last verse of the chapter. But it really, it goes on to chapter number 10 because what happened after they prayed? In verse number 10 and verse number 1, he called his 12 disciples whom he just said to pray. He gave them power to cast out spirits, cast out all manner of sicknesses and all manner of diseases. In other words, those that prayed for laborers became the laborers themselves. <laughs> and when you say, God, raise up somebody in the church, some godly family in the church, you could be the answer to your own prayer. Sometimes you pray, Lord, save my son, my daughter, my husband, my father. You could be the answer to your own prayer. And that's what happened. Those that prayed, God sent. Now, God gives many opportunities, and I'm not going to go through them. Tonight. We're just, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to finish up. I know we have some nice little stuff out there, you know. Now, I just call them goodies, and I guess you call them, what's that big word? Hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> that's just a lot of good stuff in little bite-sized pieces. <laughs> But God gives them many opportunities that have been wasted. We already mentioned Adam and Eve, the people of Noah's day. In Acts 24, Felix, you remember him in the Bible, look at the passage, but you remember it. Felix said to Paul, go thy way when I have a more convenient season, I'll call for you. Preacher, don't call me, I'll call you. And he lost that opportunity forever. We could look at men such as Agrippa, who said, almost. Almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. Almost, but not enough. And lost the opportunity. <laughs> Zacchaeus, as I mentioned, I was like reading about these short people in the Bible, you know? And, and, and Zacchaeus was short of statue, and he wanted to see Jesus. Jesus walking down the road. And he wanted to see Jesus, but all you tall people were in the way. And I know what it's like to stand behind you trying to, you know, look, look, look over it, you know. Uh, and he said, I can't see Jesus. I can't see Jesus. What did he do? <laughs> he said, I got one opportunity. Jesus is going to pass by. I got one opportunity. I'm going to take it. And he climbed the tree. And he's sitting up in the tree. <laughs> Nothing's going to stop him from seeing Jesus. And what happened? As the Lord walked by, he stopped. Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to thy house. And Zacchaeus and his family got saved. What an opportunity. Had to climb a tree to do it, but he did it. Oh, yeah. Uh, we can stop and think in Mark chapter 10, uh, a man on the roadside begging. His name was, uh, I think just a moment, just uh, Bartimaeus. Begging on the side of the road. Blind man. Jesus coming. He said, what's the commotion? What's the commotion? Oh, Jesus coming by. Jesus coming by. He said, I got one opportunity. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Bartimaeus, be quiet. Be quiet. Be quiet. Oh, the Bible says, no, all the more he shouted out. Jesus, the son of David, have mercy on me. He had an opportunity, and he wasn't going to let it pass. And Jesus healed him. Taking the opportunity that's at hand. There was a girl 
one of my meetings. I found this out years later. I've been in evangelism now for, what, 37, 38 years? 12 years as a pastor before that. I sat in about the middle of the, of the church. That night I preached about surrendering to the work and the service of God. And she raised her hand to surrender. Mother took her hand and pulled it down and says, we don't do that. After the raising hand, I asked folks if they really meant it to come to an altar for a special time and place of prayer. She starts coming out and the mother pulled her back and says, we don't go to the altar. And so she sat, but that little girl grew up. Soon she was on her own and surrendered to God and today is a missionary. She had the opportunity. She said, I'm not, it took a while to come, but I'm not going to let it pass. And folks, the point is tonight, let's not make 2019 with lost opportunities like we had in 2018. Let's not get so busy doing this, doing that, we forget the main reason. We forget our focus, and that is to win souls to Jesus Christ. Some opportunities. I wish I had a second chance at it. Let me close with, and I'm not proud of this. I was saved when I was 16, as I mentioned, in 1962. I had a high school friend. We were buddies. He didn't have a mom and dad. He lived with his uncle. His uncle raised him. I don't know what circumstance of his parents, but anyway, his uncle raised him, and we'd become friends, and we played basketball together, and we'd do, go to basketball, high school basketball games together. And His name was Richie, and we just had a good time. One night, Richie stayed over many nights and in our bedroom and the very house I live in, the bedroom right across from our personal bedroom, right across the hallway. That was my room as when I was a boy. And we were in bed, and you know how it is when friends have sleepovers, you talk and talk and talk and know about this and about that. Richie came out with a statement. He says, you know what, Daddy? He says, I know you go to church, but he said, man, my life's a mess. I'm going to go to hell. You know, and you talk about an opportunity. You talk about an open door. God won't let me forget this. I said to him, Richie, it's late. I want to go to sleep. And we did. Next day, went about our business and everything, but a while after that, Richie wasn't in school. Didn't know where he was. Time went by, and I get a letter. What did they call it? APO, like military addresses. You know, they have an APO address on the return address. And uh, it was from Richie. He had dropped out of school and joined the Marines, I was in Vietnam. Oh, no. Facing the enemy. God, if he dies without Jesus, his blood is on my hands. I prayed for him. I wrote back to my stuffed the letters with tracks and everything and never got a response. Every day I lived in fear of hearing that he had died in Vietnam, as so many have. We had been called to a church out of Bible college in North Jersey. And we went there for two years before starting our church in Wilkett. And uh, we were visiting my mom the house that I currently live in, I pulled into the driveway. 
All of a sudden, a police car coming right behind me with lights flashing. I go, what in the world? I get out of the car, and it's Richie. <laughs> he had served his time in Vietnam, come back to town, and joined the police department. I said, Richie, at least turn off the lights. People know me around here, you know. <laughs> I said, God, this is my opportunity. <laughs> this is it, God. He was in the driveway. The house is on the left. I said, hey, Richard, do you remember right up there? We have a little dormer in, uh, in that bedroom. I said, but do you remember that, in that, in that room right up there? You asked me that question about God and the Bible and, and everything. He says, oh, that was a long time ago. And then he got a radio call, says, I got to go. When we started our church in town, I tried to get his kids to come to vacation Bible school. He wouldn't let them. I couldn't get them to come. And to this day, as far as I know, unless some soul winner much more, much more dedicated than I was, leads him to Jesus. His blood is on my hands. The opportunity was gone, honey. I don't know if I ever get it back or not. But you have the same circumstances sometimes. Don't let opportunities pass this next year. And I'm wondering tonight if you would make a determination in your heart right now. said, Lord, I don't want to waste any years of my life. Okay, you might not become a full-time missionary like, like Brother Bruce. You might not be full-time youth. You may not be a pastor. I understand that. But you can make your years count for Jesus. Because God's not done with you yet. I don't care. Oh, preacher, I'm too old. You can't teach old dogs new trick. Well, we're not training dogs. We're training God's people. And I know what the power of God can do. I don't know how many years this I have left. This coming May, I'll be 73. Can you believe that? I'll be 73. Most of my life is over. I know that. The Bible says the days of men, what, 72? You're 35? You have, your life is half over. You're at halftime. <laughs> Not to discourage you, but that's what it is. <laughs> But I do know this. I don't know how many days I have left. But I want him to count for God. Just to be faithful to him. And maybe you do too. And so I'm going to ask you to stand, please. And find your hymn book, if you will. We don't always sing a hymn, but tonight we will. It's actually a little chorus. Number five, four, six, please, in your hymn book. Could we make this the closing prayer of 2018 flowing over to the opening prayer of 2019? Would you ask God this year, give you just one soul. One soul. Oh, preacher, what's one? You were one. Somebody cared for you. Can you imagine if everybody, every Christian in this room would win one soul to Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, uniting with us in the family of God at Harvest Baptist Church. Do you realize we double what we have in this Sunday night service? Just by one. And ask God, God, help me take every opportunity I have to be a witness for you. Let's sing this tonight, this little chorus. Lead me to some soul today. Lead some soul today. Oh, teach me. Lord, just want to say, friends are mine. Yes, they are. Your friends. Few there are who seem to. That's right. There are who pray. Melt my heart and fill my life. Give me. 
Would you close your books and put them aside, please? I cannot close a meeting without an invitation. Because, folks, so much battle is done at this altar. I know you can pray where you're at, but I'll tell you, the devil cannot read your mind, but he can see your actions. And tonight, I'm going to ask you, you know somebody says, few there are that seem to care. I want to be a caring Christian. And few there are that pray. I want to be a praying Christian. And maybe you do too. Will somebody have a burden for somebody to bring that soul to Jesus tonight and pray for him at this altar? Is there somebody that will slip out and come right now to this altar and pray for somebody you know to get? I want to care. I want to be in the labor of the harvest of God. Your friends, your neighbors, your relatives, they need Jesus. You have the answer. Pray. Pray the Lord of the harvest. That's right. God bless you, folks. God bless you. Kneel, stand, sit, become tonight. Father, the harvest is there. God, it's going to waste. An opportunity, oh Lord, we get busy here, we get busy there, and we get upset about this, and we get up, ups, upset about that, and oh God, and all the time souls are perishing and going to hell. Make us care tonight more about others than ourselves. And Lord, this is more than just a little course tonight. It's our prayer. Lord, this coming year, or even what's left in this year, may it be used for you. Lord, keep us from getting sidetracked and making the main thing the main thing, which is winning souls. And Lord, I pray for every prayer that's offered at this altar tonight. Somebody's thinking about somebody that needs Jesus. Maybe it's a friend, it's a relative, a neighbor, maybe just somebody we come across. Lord, lead us to some soul today. Teach us, Lord, just what to say. Holy Spirit, we yield to you in the name of Jesus, and amen. Let's sing that chorus one more time. It will be dismissed.